0: This
1: is a Seven West media podcast. Welcome to News Fix from Seven News. I'm Cyan Doherty. Thanks for joining me.
0: Rugby Australia is tonight making moves to sack Wallaby star Israel
2: Folau after he went on another social media rant. I think that issue's had enough oxygen. Thanks.
1: Your career is all but over, how does it feel? Um, you know, I'm looking for that apology and, and if I can get that, uh, yeah, that'll be awesome.
2: Oh. Great. Okay. okay, so we're rolling at this end. There is a sense with the full hour story that as it started off as a, as a very much a sport story, um, but it's now dealing with fundamental issues within the community uh, that perhaps or have been bubbling along for quite a while, but this now has provided a vehicle uh, for them to be really debated strenuously. Um, and potentially to, you know, be assessed within a within a legal forum.
1: Chris Ma is a reporter with 7 News in Sydney, where he's covered general news and politics for close to 20 years. Well, to start with, I'll just ask the most obvious question. Who is Israel Falau?
2: Well, Israel Folau, uh has been lauded really from the beginning of his professional playing career as a supremely talented athlete Um, and as it's turned out um, he's been able to turn his his hand successfully at different codes which has sort of set him apart from other footballers Um, in his first year with the Melbourne Storm uh, he scored uh, 36 tries uh, which was an NRL record for a debut year, and he hasn't looked back really from that from that moment in terms of his of his standing uh, in in any of the codes that he's played in. He was just 17 uh, when he started with the uh, uh, Storm uh, in first grade, uh, yeah. the youngest ever uh, first grader. Uh, he uh, became the youngest player for the Queensland state of origin team. Um, he was also the youngest player ever for the uh, the Kangaroos, the Australian team. Uh, before he then moved to the Brisbane Broncos, where he had a long, very successful career there. Then came his his first um, his first code swap, uh, and really his first entry into controversy because it was a controversial move at the time in league circles to see one of its biggest stars uh, jumping the fence uh, and becoming a utility player for the. For the Greater Western Sydney team in the AFL. Israel! That's the take they're looking for from Sydney. See the ups though, see the, see the natural spring in the hand.
0: Is he? Is he for L?
2: Oh, yes, he is. Moderately successful, certainly successful for the club as a, as a selling point uh, for what was a new franchise in the AFL. But two years later came another co jump uh, into rugby this time uh, with. Uh, with Rugby Australia similarly to the AFL, hoping that such a big name in sport uh, from from league would be good for for their game um, at the at the turnstiles. I oh, can't wait to see him get his hands on the ball. Israel Folau, he's something special. And that certainly has proved to be the case. Um, Folau continued with his scoring exploits, uh, took out Rugby's Best Player award three times. Um, and really was the game's biggest name, right up to the point that we now find ourselves at. Um, and, and look, during, during that period, uh, Folau's religious faith um, was certainly known in league and, and AFL years. He was brought up as a Mormon. Uh, he converted to the Assemblies of God. Um, his father is a pastor Uh, and uh, he effectively is in a Pentecostal-style church uh, where his faith uh, has become, it seems, more emboldened uh, and we uh, find ourselves really in the situation we now now are in.
1: But like you said, he's never really made a secret of the fact he's a Christian and it did cause a bit of controversy back um, when Australia was debating about the same-sex marriage plebiscite. Is that right? He made some comments then.
2: That really was the first time he came to attention in a dramatic way uh, in terms of his faith colliding uh, with the sporting organisations that he was connected with and he refused to endorse Rugby Australia's yes position uh, in the gay marriage debate uh, in the lead up to the, the national plebiscite and at the time uh, R- Rugby noted that uh, and accepted his, his his individual position on that issue, uh, but nonetheless, it certainly gained some attention. Then, in April last year, uh, after suggesting on Instagram that uh, homosexuals were were headed for hell, um, it it he gained a, a lot more attention. he put certainly more pressure on the game of rugby. Um, it, it, rugby's key sponsors, like Qantas, uh, indicated that they were unimpressed. Um, Rugby bosses uh, certainly were unhappy with the situation, but at that point, at that point at least, uh, decided not to take any real sanction against Israel Folau. And then of course we find ourselves in the now infamous Instagram post in April last. uh, uh, Homosexuals, adulterers, liars, fornicators, thieves, hell awaits you.
0: And let's go live now to Liam Cox at Rugby Australia. They say that while uh, Israel is
2: entitled to his religious beliefs, the way in which he has expressed these beliefs is inconsistent with the values of the Uh, sport. Now, this Uh, was the last straw for rugby. Uh, It took very swift action, uh, describing it as homophobic. Um, Falao then was found guilty by a panel of... Of, of experts brought in by rugby of, of breaching the game's code of conduct um, in terms of its, um, its commitment to inclusiveness and his, uh, his contract was, was torn up.
1: Rugby Australia and New South Wales Rugby Union have today served Israel Folau with a breach notice over the posts on social media platforms Twitter and Instagram on April 10. Rugby Australia Integrity Unit deemed that Israel had committed a high-level breach of the Professional Player's Code of Conduct, warranting termination of his employment contract. Was that surprising at the time? He'd made these comments before and everyone, everyone was talking about this new social media post. But from memory, was there a bit of will they, won't they terminate that contract?
2: The surprise was really around the fact that Folau was rugby's biggest name. Domestically, and the surprise was that the game would make that step against against such an important figure commercially in the game of rugby. So, so therein lies the greatest surprise. The, there's no doubt that rugby was um, put to the test by the uh, previous indiscretion, followed by this latest indiscretion. Um, there's been a lot of discussion around the fact of what the contract. Actually, ties for to. too. Uh, also, there's been discussion about after the first indiscretion, um, it seems that rather than Falao uh, contractually agreeing to to certain things, it really came down to not much more than a handshake uh, between him and the rugby CEO Raylene Castle. So, um, so in terms of surprise, yes, uh, that Falau was such an important figure and that rugby would 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 choose to go this way i mean he obviously returned fire immediately going to the fair work commission um, arguing that he was sacked on the basis of religious belief begin with pictures just in a
1: ballaby star israel fallow this morning preparing to face off against right
2: now this will be the battle lines uh if this matter ends up in court uh the the issue of freedom of speech freedom of religious expression versus um, what the contract actually requires, uh, whether it's a clear breach of contract. And when it goes to court, if it goes to court, the in, in indications are that it will, um, that will be the key argument. Um, of course, we've had the GoFundMe campaign uh, launched to raise money for Falau's legal battle. Um, then it was, of course, sensationally, it, it sensationally dumped Folau, Um Deciding after a few days that his position violated their terms of, of, of service. Now, even more sensationally, the Australian Christian Lobby has uh, pulled in uh, a $2 million war chest in just a handful of days, which just has underlined the level of public support Falau does have with this campaign. There have been questions uh, as to exactly how that money will be used, so that will be something to, to watch out for. Uh, Folau now is demanding an apology. He wants his contract reinstated. Rugby bosses, um, well, quite frankly, they would be absolutely aghast that it's reached this stage. Uh, they want it sorted. Really, they want it to go away as, as quickly as possible, but, but it's showing no signs of that. Uh, and, and the sorts of numbers that we're talking about here um, that, that Folau is seeking. Uh, he, he wants a, a $10 million um, settlement on this. Uh, these kinds of numbers are big numbers for a sport that financially uh, has, has got some issues in terms of you know uh, looming um, uh, or future uh, TV deals and so forth are, are going to be much harder to, to squeeze the big money from. So it, it, it's a game that can ill afford this kind of financial challenge.
1: And, of course, the Australian Christian Lobby suspended their fundraiser at $2 million, but they said they might open it up again. And considering how quickly that grew, like I believe in the early stages it was growing by $1,000 a minute, I mean, that would put the fear into Rugby Union as well, wouldn't it? It
2: it certainly would in terms of just how much support there is out there for Israel Flau, And it, it also indicates that if they were to reopen the site, that chances are they would continue to be successful in attracting uh, funding support. So so if rugby is intent on a drawn out legal battle over this, then it, it does appear that the other side uh, is going to be well funded um, and, and that will give rugby a great deal of um, thought as to how far they want to push this matter. There's certainly figures within rugby that want it settled straight away uh, to, to, to almost you know, cut their losses, if you like, um, and keep it from dragging on through the courts. I mean, look, um, we have the, the Super 14 finals uh, happening. Uh, there's no talk about that. Uh, the only talk in rugby uh, is about Israel Folau, uh, and that cannot be good for the game.
1: And it's one of those things that starts as a sports story because it's a sports star, but it's absolutely transcended sport, hasn't it?
2: Oh, there's no doubt about that. It it this this has tapped into some pretty strong themes out there in the community, and the theme of freedom of speech, or, or perhaps to to put it slightly another way, political correctness, um, is very much involved in this. In this uh, in this dis- dispute, uh, and that's an issue that's been bubbling along now in the community for a number of years, uh, and we've seen it uh, enter our political debate as well. Um, the Falau saga uh, has even been described as a as a mabo type um, uh, challenge. Uh, so that's that's the level, that's the extraordinary level that it's being treated at legally uh, and and in the public. Uh, consciousness. Now, the 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 anti um side, if I can describe it like that. See, this is very much just, just a wealthy footballer who who should be who should be funding his own legal battles. And there's no dispute that Falau has been extraordinarily well-paid athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, but the story, as you say, has now gone above sport. It's about other issues of freedom of speech, as I, as I said, a, a type of political correctness in, in in the way that we communicate in in the community. It's drawn out a lot of these latent um, feelings uh, from from the from the public, mm. and and it's also divided the public clearly. It's divided sport, it's divided public. It's even divided the church in in some instances. So, mm. um, to, in that sense, um, it's an extraordinary event. It's a story that began. On social media, um, it's been it's been waged since then on social media. But of course, it's also uh, dominated the traditional general media as well. As both sides now seemingly are staring staring each other down, um, really waiting to see who blinks.
1: Yeah, like you said, it has made people very passionate. I suppose it's an issue that really cuts to the heart of people's morality. And the issue here is that Falau claimed to Peter Credlin and Alan Jones that he's doing this out of love. But to the people who feel they've been offended, it's the opposite. So it's one of those situations where both sides feel like they're fighting the good fight.
2: That, that's exactly right. And both sides, in a sense, are correct. Uh, certainly in a sense, based on their own beliefs, are absolutely correct. And and. in in, in an instance where these are beliefs strongly held and neither side are going to walk away from them. Uh, And in in that sense, there's no opportunity to reconcile uh, the argument. Um, There has to be an opportunity for rugby, though, uh, because commercially it's, it's absolutely... Uh, crucial that it finds a, a resolution to this, um, but because it's been taken out of the uh, out of the amphitheater of sport and turned into something greater than that, um, it's really complicated. Rugby's approach to how it gets this matter sorted.
1: Is there like a written key policy of Rugby australias that he's, I guess, um, been in breach of, or I guess that's what they'll be debating today, but. I mean is there sort of one rule they have to stand on or is there something in that contract like something in black and white or is it just that handshake you know because I mean people get fired for things they post on Twitter you know like I find it just very interesting that pe- it seems so uh, like such a grey area but shouldn't it be black and white if you do this you get fired if you don't you keep your job?
2: The There is a, a commitment to inclusiveness that's Right. wheeze its way through the the code of conduct within within the contract and and of course these sorts of contracts with these sorts of high profile athletes differ quite a lot to your average one because they are who they are yeah uh and on top of that of course these days they have access to immediate uh, uh their own media with through social media so uh for sport in general this is a this is a a difficult area and a fascinating area really to observe is how do we how do we manage our athletes around their use of social media and it's not just rugby that's run foul of this of course it's been there's been any number of instances where sport Mm. uh administration has had issues with athletes who have gone on social media and done the wrong thing um so like the rest of social media in terms of how you regulate it um, it's very hard to regulate it um, and it's very hard to, to um, within, a, within the terms of a contract, uh, to find a way to, to manage individuals um, and what they say. Uh, and again, it, that sort of broad topic is at the heart of, of this matter.
1: So Chris, obviously you've covered a lot in your career. But a story like this does cut to the heart of someone's morality. Some people covering the story might be gay. Some of them might be Christian. So they'll have sort of passionate beliefs about this that go to almost, you know, right to their identity. So how, as a journalist, do you cover a story like this and stay objective?
2: Look, I think that uh, I would be the first to say that a person's beliefs on core Issues such as sexuality and and religious faith are you know absolutely important to them, and that they need to stand by them. Uh, so that would be not in question in my mind. Um, but I think in the instance of covering a story like this, that there's an absolute danger in allowing that to creep into your judgment, and and that is when journalists need to. To, to resort to, to, I guess, the core professionalism of what they do, and they need to look at these sorts of stories in a balanced way, in, in the same way as you approach any other story. And, yes, this one probably is more difficult than most for people that may have, you know, strong views on either side of this argument, but that is the time, as a journalist, that is absolutely the time, as a journalist, that you have to stand back and you have to assess the story as a whole, uh, and you need, to, you need to find a way to divorce yourself uh, from allowing those strong um, personal views to impede your judgement. Um, not an easy thing to do sometimes, but it has to be done.
1: So you lay out the facts and let the viewer decide?
2: Absolutely, I would have thought. Anything else, um, anything else in my view, starts to complicate your professional role in covering the story. Um, and I think if you find yourself doing that, um, then you need to look very closely at, uh, at whether you <clears throat> excuse me whether you're in a position to con- to continue in on on that story. Now, you know, talk about all the all the issues that the Falou saga raises. Yes, okay, another one potentially would be within the media, um, and in within media you have media commentary, of course, where it's almost well, uh, an opinion is sought. Uh, in media commentary, but then you have the other form of media where you are simply reporting the story, you are providing coverage of the story and the factual developments of that story on, an, on, a, on a daily basis, and in that instance you cannot do that uh, without um, taking that step back that I referred to and looking, looking at it in a balanced way.
1: And if for any reporter they do feel like they just it's just too close to home, would anyone just step back and not do the story? Ask for someone else to do it?
2: Look, I suppose it's possible. Um, uh, I I think it's uh, unlikely that it would reach that stage with reporters. I mean, I can't speak for all reporters, obviously, um, so. but um, that that you know, as a as a reporting community, um, you know. I, it's my view that uh, the overwhelming majority of reporters would be able to do that and, and would be able to do that um, uh, with with relative ease um, and then do their job, get their job done appropriately uh, and professionally uh, and then to, perhaps after that is done, to, to walk away and, and, and think about, what these events and and, you know and and reach your own conclusions about these events you're free to do that but uh, when you're out there reporting on it uh, you're not
1: and I don't like to get too idealistic but one of the things that I think is you know just a crucial part of journalism is informing the debate so giving people the facts so they can make up their own minds and the debate can function you know on facts not just emotion
2: I think uh, it's, it's never more the case than in a story like this
1: It was Chris Ma from Seven News in Sydney.
0: Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts?
1: That is your News Fix for this week. Every week, we'll dig a little deeper and go behind the headlines. Please subscribe if you have a moment and send us your feedback to podcasts at seven.com.au. News Fix is produced by Seven West Media. Supervising producer is John Buck. Our executive producer is Nikki Hamilton. And the director of news and public affairs is Craig McPherson. I'm Cyan Doherty. Thanks for listening.